Welcome to Conversations with Connors. I'm your host, Adam Connors. Joe Applebaum is the CEO of Ajax Union and helps entrepreneurs take their business to new levels. Joe is the definition of passionate energy, not just in business, but in all he does. Joe's frank, straightforward, and unvarnished approach to some could be disconcerting and possibly abrasive. But trust me, once you learn about his drivers and get to understand that he comes from a place of benevolence, you will appreciate why I consider Joe a true friend. Joe is what most refer to as a super connector. He connects people and creates communities. During our interview, we get a chance to learn excellent ways to think about relationships and networking in general. He also discusses his book, High Energy Secrets, as well as what he thinks makes someone a great connector. Besides being such a successful entrepreneur, super connector, and author, in his spare time, he runs marathons, does a lot of public speaking, and happens to be the father of five. I'd be doing him a disservice if I failed to mention how good of a cook he was, too. In fact, Joe was a gracious host and made me lunch before our podcast. It was delicious. I promise you a fantastic interview, and when done, you not only will admire Joe, but will feel inclined to start following him on LinkedIn, which is not a bad idea. So go do it, and while you're logging in, I will tee up my conversation with Joe Applebaum. Enjoy. Because I'm going to botch your name. Let's botch the name together. Appfelbaum. A-P-F-E-L-V-A-U-M. Three syllables. Appfelbaum. Thank you for doing that, Joe. Tell me about you, Joe. Give me the, the quick and dirty. I know it's a long, long story, but if I had to sum you up in a nutshell, please help me. So I used to be the average Joe, the regular person <laughs> who just wanted to make a living. You know, just I, I wanted to have a family. I wanted to make a living and I wanted to do my thing. And that's what I was. And over the course of the past couple of years, I learned to go from average Joe to CEO, to learn how to be the CEO of my life, not just the CEO of my business, but the CEO of my life and to really take charge. So who am I? If you look at my core values of who I am, because that's what I like, I look at a person and say, okay, who are you? You are who your values are. I would say that my three core values are creativity, curiosity, and levity. So I love being creative. I love creating. I call myself not a consumer, a creator, although I do consume a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, but you know, I love creating. I feel like, when I, I feel alive when I'm creating, because it's one of my values. Um, another thing I love doing is asking questions. I love being interviewed because that's creating, but I also love asking questions and I love going through the rabbit hole and just, you know, you never know what's going to come up. So I love interviewing and speaking to people and meeting new people and all that type of stuff. And that's why I love networking. So curiosity, super curious. I've always been curious. When I was little, I used to touch everything. My mother used to call me touchy touch because <laughs> I literally couldn't keep my fingers off anything. And, you know, that's why I love computers because there's endless. That's why I love the market. There's endless things that you can be curious about. And then levity. I love making fun, having fun, joke, joke around, joking, making light of things. Life is too short to take things too seriously. Agreed. Just have a good time, enjoy, laugh. For me, it's kind of like part of who I am. I used to think, oh my God, it's bad that I, I'm making jokes. You know, you got to take things seriously because, you know, the teachers are like, stop making jokes. But the reality is the way that you learn is by joking around. The way that you learn is by making things light so the pressure is not on. Because when the pressure is on, then it's, it doesn't work. You just have to have a good time, have to have fun. So right now I'm living my life to my values. Now I don't always do that. I don't always live my life to my values. 
sometimes I have my needs that need to get met. Sometimes I need to be right instead of being happy. You can ask my wife, you know, like <laughs> you, you get into a pickle. But for me, I'm always trying to find a better way to do everything that I do. And sometimes it's not better, but I thought it was better. But I'm always I'm always looking to build and to create. And so if I am a person of my experiences, let's say, you know, who are you? I am the one who observes my experiences. That's who I really am. But ultimately, when people think about who you are, they want to know what have you done? What have you experienced? What have you seen? What have you felt? And for me, it's thinking about, okay, so I came from a home or one of six, lived in Brooklyn, New York. I still live in Brooklyn, New York. I watched my mother struggle in her store for many, many years. I watched her struggle. She's an entrepreneur. My father kind of tagged along for the ride. He likes to just like chill and learn and stuff like that. What type of store? It was a boutique in the Lower East Side. And watching her suffer for like 10 years trying to build a business, and I was trying to get lucky, trying to get lucky, trying to get lucky, and just, oh, I just don't have luck. I just don't have luck. I just don't have luck. I saw that there are three self-limiting beliefs that entrepreneurs have in general, and that also helping over 10,000 entrepreneurs kind of through my seminars and all the tough stuff that I do. I kind of realized that there are three major self-limiting beliefs that entrepreneurs have. One of them is around luck. And it was really prevalent when my mother started trying to get lucky because if you ask most people, how much money do you want to make? What are they going to say? As much as possible. Why? Because they're trying to get lucky. Most people lose money in the stock market because they're trying to get lucky. Luck is a great thing. But luck is not a great strategy. It's not like a, a strategy that will take you to the next level. So for me, I'm the type of person that says, I am lucky to be able to create my own luck to be able to create my own strategies, to be able to create my own opportunities, and to take responsibility for my successes and my failures. So the first thing is luck. The second thing is trust. Most people don't trust other people. So if I didn't trust you, we wouldn't be doing this podcast right now in my house. So you got to trust people. You got to trust the government. You got to trust competitors. You got to trust yourself. Most people don't have self-confidence, which means self-trust. You got to trust yourself that it's okay for you to fall because every time you fall, you learn how not to fall next time. So I believe that I'm a true believer that there is no losing in my life. There's only winning and learning. That's great. Have you always held these beliefs? I haven't always held the beliefs because I, you know, when I was young, I didn't know what to believe. You know, I saw my mother thinking, yeah, I got to get lucky, got to get lucky, got to get lucky. So I was like, okay. But I always planned on if I did win the lottery, what would I do with that money? Most people don't know what they will do. So 80% of people that win the lottery lose it within the first three years and another 16% commit suicide because they just can't handle it. But I was ready to win the lottery, and that's why I never won the lottery. I created the lottery. I created my own luck. I created my own lottery, and I was able to make millions of dollars in my business because I had a plan, and I knew what I wanted to do with the money. So for me, it's all about figuring out what you want to do when you get to the end, and that's what strategy is about, looking what the end looks like. Begin, like Stephen Covey talks about, beginning with the end in mind. It's like one of the seven habits of highly effective people. Mm -hmm. Good book. So excellent book. But you know, for me, it's all about, I was always the type of person that was trying to say, okay, what's the end game here? What's the bottom line? I'm a bottom line type of person. And that's not the best for a person that wants to go on a journey and just like smell the roses. I was always the best person, I guess. And now I have kind of like the balance between smelling the roses and doing that. And also in terms of trusting people, no, I would never trust anybody. I was afraid that if somebody knew how to run my business, then they would steal my business. But most people are not entrepreneurs and people don't want to steal your business. Do you hire people that are typically smarter than you, more motivated than you? Talk, walk me through that. that thing so motivation is a very interesting thing because where does motivation come from? Like, do I hire people that are more motivated than me? Probably not because most people that I hire don't have the type of clarity that I have. 
I also have a small business. My business is not like a hundred million dollar, two hundred million dollar business that I could afford to hire seasoned executives that have tons of clarity and that, you know. So one day I will have a multi billion dollar business, but for right now, this is what where I am, and I'm really happy where I am right now in my life. So I create that awareness for my employees. I create awareness for them today. So I find people that are a little more entry level. I support them, help them, and help them create that clarity in their life. And based on that, they know where they want to go. So, you know, I didn't trust myself because I didn't I didn't have clarity myself. Speaking of your business, and maybe I should have started with this a little earlier, for those of you who aren't familiar with your business, if you could give an overview yeah, of yeah. Your, your company, what you do. So Ajax Union is my business. It's a B2B digital marketing agency based in Brooklyn. I've been doing marketing for the past 20 years or so, and in the past... 10 years, I was able to grow this company to be one of the fastest growing companies in America. We've serviced over 1,100 clients just in the past 10 years alone. And now we're the type of company where we're working with fewer companies and we're going deeper with them and helping them be able to grow. So we're, we do everything from lead generation, lead nurturing, account-based marketing. Essentially, is if you're a business that needs leads, a lot of B2C companies that are doing e-commerce don't really need leads. But if you're the type of business that needs leads and you're selling a high-value product, something where you make a lot of money, especially reoccurring revenue, we can help you come up with the right strategy to get customers, identify your goals, your message, your target, exactly what your value proposition, all, all that stuff. And then after that, we help you build up all the assets like landing pages and lead magnets and infographics, all the things that you need in order to attract traffic and create your funnel. And then the third step is actually doing the work, getting your execution, doing SEO, SEM, social media, all that type of stuff. So we have a very specific three-step process of strategy, assets, and, and execution. And you've been doing this for over 10 years. Were you doing this prior to starting the company? Yes, yeah, so I was doing it as a freelancer mm -hmm. before I started the company. I had seven. I had a full-time job and seven side hustles. So I had a <laughs> web design company. I had an IT services company. I was selling stuff on eBay. I had a guy helping me with that. I had a, a sukkah building company. For those who knows what a sukkah is, it's kind of like a little hut that you build outside your house for seven days out of the week. I'm an Orthodox Jew, so I keep you know these things. So I had 400 customers where I would build sukkahs for them. I had three different crews that would go around. Oh, so and a full time job, and you know, and a house and kids and like the whole thing. So I realized that focus was an issue for me at some point. Like when I found my partner for Ajax Union, he's like, "Dude, you're not focused." And so I was had all this energy and all this excitement and all this stuff that I was creating, but I wasn't focused. And today, my, I have a networking masterclass that I teach, and today was all about focus. My networking masterclass, Module 7, was about focus and teaching people that, you know, not just being all over the place is the key. Like really focusing on what is it that you want to create in your life. And that's kind of like the theme, right? Focus is like the theme in the middle of everything. So... When I wrote my book, Average Joe to CEO, it was beliefs, failure, work, and then focus was in the middle. And then it was fears, relationships, and purpose. So those are the seven stages to go from Average Joe to CEO. And focus is always like the middle. Like Until I focused, I didn't have the shift of awareness. Mm -hmm. Until I focused, I didn't understand how to build a relationship. Until I focused, I didn't know how to lose weight because I was unfocused. I didn't focus on my diet. You know, we had breakfast together today and we had a really great time eating together and making food together. I was very focused, right? Focused on what I wanted to create. I knew what I wanted to make. I knew how I wanted to make it. And I knew why I was eating the ingredients that I'm eating. Focus comes from having clarity. And having clarity provides motivation to have focus. Most people are not even motivated to focus because they're like, why should I, mo why should I focus on this? You need to have a motive. Why should I focus on this? What is your motive to be focused? 
clarity tells you the why. And once you know the why, you have the motive and you actually end up doing the things. And when you do the things, that's when you get results. So why do you think most people aren't focused? And actually, before answering that, if you don't mind, I, I hate this term because I feel like everybody just throws it out as an excuse, but were you ever diagnosed with ADHD or ADD? Not officially diagnosed, yeah. but I have many, many people that tell me I'm severely ADD. And when I tell people that are severely ADD, I tell them that you have a superpower called focus, a superpower called hyper-focus. You know, eight people that have ADD, from my experience with working with hundreds of entrepreneurs one-on-one, -on -one, is that if you can learn how to leverage your hyper-focus, and I'm going to say this again, if you can learn how to leverage your hyper-focus, you can create something that most people cannot create. Entrepreneurs are able to create something that most human beings cannot create because they have this thing called hyper-focus, but every blessing is also a curse. So if you don't know how to leverage it, you're gonna be scatterbrained and all over the place until you find the thing you can obsess on. So if you wanna learn the market, you can obsess on the market, but you gotta hyper-focus on the market. If you wanna learn networking, you can obsess over it. You have to learn what to obsess over. If you're obsessed over being a multitasker and trying to do everything at once, your, that's the default thing that most human beings that have this type of thing have. So they end up hyper-focusing on everything at the same time, which is the opposite of hyper-focusing. So if you learn the art of just picking one thing, and it's really, it's more of a, kind of like a muscle. So you say, why are most people have a hard time focusing? It's because they don't want to limit their success. And they believe that by picking something to focus on, they're limiting their success because you go to a trade show and if you focus on your ideal client, then what about all the other people walking around? But what they don't realize is that if they try to go into a, a place to hunt and they're trying to hunt all the animals at the same time, they're gonna come home with no animals. So you have to walk in before you go hunting. If you know you're going for a buffalo, then you first have to learn where the buffalo eat, where they drink, how long they spend there, what they do. You got to have the right weapon to get the buffalo. You got to learn them and build a relationship with them and then capture a buffalo. You're not just suddenly going to be able to show up and say, okay, let me get the squirrel. No, now let me get the duck. Now let me get seaweed. Let me just put my head inside the water and just start drinking water. Oh my gosh, it's poisonous water. I have to go find a doctor now, okay, but I wanted to get a buffalo. But now you're making an excuse because you're sick because you drank some crappy water. Anyway, bottom line is, you got to be focused. And if you're not focused, you don't know where you're going. You're not going to get very far. You know, the thing is with our attention, as human beings, we are our attention. People don't realize this. You know, like when you put your awareness on your foot, you take your awareness and you put it onto your foot. You now are aware of your foot. So now you are part of your foot. You're with your foot. When you're not aware of your foot, then your foot doesn't exist. Until I mentioned this, nobody was thinking about their foot. Now everyone's thinking about their foot because I'm talking about your foot. Our brain, our attention, our mind is always looking for something to latch onto. And wherever the most pressure exists, that's typically where we latch our attention. When you want to network, when you want to do something proactive, like lose weight or do something important and not urgent, Stephen Covey, go, going back to Stephen Covey, talks about the important versus urgent quadrant, mean? right? And a lot of people are focused on the urgent at the expense of the important. They're putting away the important, not doing what's important because it's not, you don't need to do it right now. You don't need to do your taxes right now, but taxes are important. Until taxes become urgent, then your attention gets called by the IRS because in two days you got to do it and your accountant doesn't even have time to do it. So you got to file for an extension and you're going all over. 
You get it? Everybody's focused where the pressure is, what is the loudest thing of the day? And if you're living reactive, then you're not living your life by your own terms. You're living your life by the terms of other people. And this show is all about living your life on your terms. And most people are not doing that because they're reactive, because they are just latching onto whatever makes the most noise. And you have to learn to build your muscle, not to focus on what's making the most noise, but to proactively make noise, make the things that you want to do make the most noise. And I'll give you an example of how to do that. It's very simple. Number one is I know that I want to spend 30 minutes talking to you. So this device over here, I'm holding a clock that has a timer. I know that for 30 minutes I'm focused. I could focus on this because I have something that will give me noise and pressure in 30 minutes from now because it's going to ring and let me know. Same thing with accountability. You have an accountability buddy. I have an accountability buddy every morning at 7.45 because I'm learning the market. So I have someone that I have to call every single morning at 7.45 and pick my trades before the market opens. If I don't call him, he's going to be waiting for me. Hmm. So that is pressure that I created. And the same thing with my goals. And there's a lot of different things that I do that I create pressure for myself so that other people don't have to create pressure for me, so that the universe doesn't have to create pressure. I have enough pressure that I create uh, for myself. When I get up on the scale every single morning, I create pressure for myself because I'm actually measuring how much I weigh, and I have a goal that I created, which is more pressure. I believe that you either have pressure that you create for yourselves, or you have pressure that comes from problems that other people create for you. Mm. How much sleep do you get at night? My goal is to get a minimum of six hours of sleep because what I learned was that your body has three cycles it goes through in each cycle. So for example, there's a 90 minute cycle that your body goes through three steps and your body has to do that at least three or four times in order for your brain to be cleaned from all the toxins. That's the only way you can do that. This is what I understand. I'm not this big scientist or whatever, but I understand that I'm refreshed after six hours. And if I wake up in the middle of a cycle, in the middle of one of those 90-minute cycles, I don't feel well. Like my head hurts or something because I didn't finish a cycle. So the key is, however much, I don't use an alarm clock in the morning. So I go to sleep as early as I possibly can. Last night I went to sleep at 9. And I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning and I was fine. I felt really great. What right? do you so, do at 4 in the morning? So I get up in the morning, I stretch, I drink water, I read, I meditate. I like, I take care of myself. I pray, I journal. I make sure to clear all my emails and know what I want to do of the day. I exercise. I go for a run. Yeah, those are some things that I do every single morning. And if I if I don't do those things in the morning, then I don't feel like I set my day up for success. Right Before 9 a.m., I already went through the market. I already journaled. I already wrote some creative piece or did some type of a motivation video. Every single morning, I have a motivation group online where I motivate entrepreneurs. There's always... And I update my Instagram. I update my Facebook, my LinkedIn. Like, I'm... There are certain things that are important to me to be able to do before 9 a.m. Before I go to work, before I start my day, I have a whole other day. When did relationships, you know, i.e. networking, really become valuable in your life? Relationships were always valuable in my life, but in terms of me proactively building relationships <clears throat> as opposed to just reactively just connecting with the human beings that appeared in front of me by circumstance or by proximity, I always was a networker, but I didn't know I was a networker. And because I didn't know that networking existed, I always just, you know, I always made lists of people that are in my proximity, that are in my circumstance, and I tried to learn about them, and I put them in my contacts and collected information about them because I'm super curious. But in terms of really going out there and building relationships with CEOs and marketing directors and, and those types of people, 
I needed to grow my business, right? In order for me to get to a certain level, cold calling and digital marketing only get you so far when it comes to a certain level of client. So I could talk about one client that I got that was paying us $45,000 a month. And I can tell you that a client that's going to pay you $45,000 a month is not just, you're not going to pick up a cold call and you're suddenly, suddenly going to decide to pay you that, right? It's not going to work that way. I took a friend of mine who was the president of Entrepreneurs Organization out to breakfast and I've taken out, taken him out many times. And one of these times I sat down with him and I said, hey, listen, what can I do to add real value to your life, massive value to your life? Tell me about your business. Tell me what you need. And I'm always there to give, always there to give. And that day he said, I'm really looking for companies in New Jersey that have more than 500 employees that are healthcare institutions. So I said, I actually have a list of 600 companies that I can give you on a spreadsheet. He's like, oh my God, that would be amazing with the decision makers and their contact information. So I gave him the list. A few days later, he calls me up and he's like, by the way, I've been thinking about you. I'm so grateful for everything you've done for me over the past couple of years. I have this guy who's a really good friend of mine who's actually looking for an agency to work with. And boom, it just turned into a $45,000 a month client. And I was like, holy crap, I can't believe this just happened. This is the most amazing thing ever. I am so grateful, so happy, so thankful. Um, but I didn't expect any of that. So that's when I started realizing where, that I really have to take it seriously. I was doing seminars also, and I realized that I needed to build relationships to get people to come to my seminars. And I needed to build relationships with people in my seminars. And I started reading more and more and more that the most successful people, they became successful because of their relationships. Even Warren Buffett became successful because of his relationships. Steve Jobs, because of his relationships. Bill Gates, because of his relationships. It wasn't like that suddenly something fell on somebody's lap. They had Mark Zuckerberg. His relationships got him where he is today. It was because he had enough relationships to get the funding that he needed to develop the, the program, to get it out there, to like, it was relationships, everything. You have, my children are here today. They exist because of a union, a bond between two people that went out, I went out and I built a relationship and now I, then I screwed it up and then I fixed it and then I screwed it up again. <laughs> Welcome to the club, ladies and gentlemen. So it's work in progress, but you know. So to your point, it's funny, I've got a, a bunch of friends that are VCs and they have told me over and over again how many great companies they've come across or amazing, I guess, creators, if you will, but they'll never invest in because they just don't get it. They don't get the relationships. They're so limited. They're stuck in an echo chamber of ideas. And their initial idea, their company idea is fantastic, but they're not going to be the people that takes it over the goal line. And they say that that's probably one of the biggest hurdles that they see when it comes to investing is just that lack. I don't know if it's a, if it's a low EQ. I don't know if it's a, just a, a lower ambition towards a relationship. But if they don't have a team already in place, at least someone, if they don't have a yin to their yang, that yin being the high EQ or somewhere out that it's more often than not a deal killer. I was interviewing the very successful guy yesterday who runs a fund that has $7.3 billion worth of real estate. And, you know, he built it from scratch. And I said, what was the first most important thing that you did? Like, what would you recommend to all the entrepreneurs? There are 400 entrepreneurs in the room. I said, what's the most important thing that you would recommend everybody do if they're an entrepreneur? And he said, I'm an idea guy. I love ideas, but I need to have someone who's a doer in my team. I need people that are smarter than me, that are process driven. And I can tell you, this word focus is about focusing not just on one idea, but also focusing on the right partner. Because if I did not have my partner, 
I would not have built my multi-million dollar agency because every day I come up with a new idea, if not 10 new ideas. I'm always coming up with new ideas. So I need my team, I need my people to be able to be stable and not go after a new idea every single time I have an idea because otherwise I'm just going to be looping around my ideas. I got to focus on a person, on the right people, and have those people help me focus because you know, entrepreneurs in general are not, you need accountability, you need the pressure, and it's not just going to happen on its own. Otherwise, you're just going to be spinning your wheel. So absolutely, you know, you need a visionary, which is the idea person, and you need an integrator or operator, which is the person who gets it done. Yeah, so um, I had on my show the other day, uh, Scott Gerber. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, Scott. Yeah, exactly. So Scott, he... Uh, essentially is echoing all these same <laughs> sentiments that, yeah. that you had that he would have had it not been for his partner again the yin to his yang i believe his name was ryan who is that operational person that kind of has the process that kind of grounds him and his ideas things of that nature but getting back to the relationship side of things what do you do to nurture your network obviously you're just a great guy you've got high energy there's people you've got magnetism so people are coming into your life Regardless, how do you select the people that make it to your kind of inner circle, number one? Number two, what do you do to, to nurture those relationships to stay in touch? So there's a couple of things. Number one is staying top of mind with people is all about being where they are. Okay, so there are different people that are, are in different places. There are certain people that are on social media, like LinkedIn. There are some people that are on social media, like Facebook. And there are certain people that are on Instagram or Twitter. There are some people that are, are in their email. There are certain people that are in their head. I can't go there. But there are certain people that are at networking events. There are certain people that go to seminars and trade shows. There are certain people that don't go to any of that stuff, and they're only in their cell phone, only available via text. So for me, nurturing people is figuring out where they are, whether it's in WhatsApp, text, email, social media, and networking events, figuring out where they are and going where they are and going to their level based on what they're interested in. Now, there are three different types of contacts. There are personal contacts that are like friends and family. There are operational contacts. That's like your housekeeper and your cleaners person and your vendors and your employees. Those are operational contacts. And then there are strategic contacts. I like to focus on strategic contacts and nurture strategic contacts. I don't have to nurture my mother. I don't have to nurture my aunt, Wilma, right? I don't have to in nurture like people in my personal or in my operational, I have to nurture a little more, but in a different way. But my strategic network, which is maybe 250, 300 people that I proactively communicate with, whether it's on a weekly, monthly, or yearly basis, depending on their level of the level of connection and how much I actually want to spend time with based on how much I like them and based on how much we are alike. You like people that are like you. So if people share passions with you, for example, if somebody's an entrepreneur and he's also into personal development and he's also into the market and he also loves marketing and he also is a thought leader and he also happens to be Jewish and all the other things that I'm interested in, the likelihood of me spending time with them is 10 times higher than somebody who is just a worker who doesn't like personal development and is super unaware, who is totally shy and does not like public speaking or social media or putting themselves out there, who like all the other things, right? Like if somebody's totally not aligned with what I'm interested in, I'm not going to be interested in them, not because they're not a good person, but because I'm just not interested in that. I'm interested in somebody who's a giver, somebody who's a networker, somebody who's a lover, somebody who has joy, somebody who has energy. I'm a high energy person. 
And I wrote a book called High Energy Secrets, how you can 10x your energy. And it's available at highenergysecrets.com. Give, give me one or two takeaways from that. That's, you know, there are a lot of people that could use a boost. Give us one or two. Apologies for interrupting this conversation, especially if you're really enjoying it. I know that I get frustrated when I'm listening to a good podcast, so I'll make it quick. If you're enjoying our podcast, please support us on patreon.com slash networkwise. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash networkwise. All patrons will receive early access to podcasts and exclusive networking advice. Okay, that was painless. So all you have to do now is help us on Patreon and enjoy the remainder of the show. Be yourself. You know, when you're with your, your friends, you have so much more energy. Why do some people energize you? Because some people allow you to be yourself. You're, you could either be open or you could be closed. When someone's judging you, you close down. When you close down your energy centers, whether it's in your heart, whether it's in your head, whether it's in the lower parts of your body, when you close your energy centers, you get depressed because you're depressing your energy centers. When you open up your energy centers, you are now alive and you're allowing the energy to flow through you. So the key is finding other people that will mirror you, that you can feed off their energy so that you can open up your energy centers and remain open. Now, I have the ability to open up my energy centers in front of anybody. It's just much easier doing it with somebody like you, Adam, because you're non-judgmental, you're fun, you compliment, you're courteous, you're tactful. Like you have all the things that are, you know, you're just a generous human being that focuses on wanting to give, right? So that makes you, makes my energy centers want to open and your energy centers mirror back. So both of us are full of energy. That's one thing. Now, physically, our body, that's the spiritual part of energy. But our bodies physically need to have water. And a 5% drop in hydration is proven scientifically to have a 30% drop in energy. Google it. I did not make this up. This is a proven scientific fact that if you have less hydration, you have less energy. I say if you have less hydration, you have less motivation, and as a result, less celebration. So the key is for you to start getting hydrated. Energy doesn't come from food. Food actually takes away your energy. After Thanksgiving, how much energy do you have when you stuffed yourself with hundreds of pounds of food, right? You don't have that much energy. You actually fall asleep from a food coma. But on some fast days, you feel amazing. Amazing. I feel amazing on some fast days, especially if I'm not getting that hangriness that comes from taking too much sugar. That that feeling of hangriness is not because you don't have food. It's because you have a low glycogen in your body. And when you have low glycogen, your body starts making you feel like, dude, go get some more glycogen. But if you could just wait that out 18 hours, then you start burning fat instead of burning sugar. And as long as you don't feed your body sugar, you stay clean, no rice, no potatoes, no white stuff, none of that stuff, and you will be able to burn a higher level of energy, which is fat. How much more energy do you have now? And for those who don't know, how much weight did you lose? I lost 95 pounds in the past five years and kept it off. That's the key. You know, when you make money, the key is to keep the money. When you lose weight, the key is to keep it off. When you get a relationship, the key is to keep the relationship. So for me, it was all about how do I take things to the next level? So what do you do to keep and nurture these relationships? For me, it's about context. So every single person lives within a certain context. So I'm part of a group called the Entrepreneurs Organization, right? In the Entrepreneurs Organization, there's a context. 
They care about certain things. I'm part of a group called the Executives Association of New York City. They care about certain things. I'm part of a synagogue. I'm part of a board. I'm part of different communities. I'm part of a community. I happen to be a comedian. So I'm part of a community with comedians. They care about certain things. So to nurture each relationship has to do with the context that I'm in with them. So finding things that are within that context to build a relationship. And then also, ultimately, it's about adding value to the relationship. So what can I do to add value to your life is a sentence that you need to learn how to use very often. What can I do to add value to your life? Write it down. Write ding, down ding, that ding, sentence. ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. No, no worries. But Adam, listen, this is really where it's at. It's, it's asking people, what can I do to add value to your life? And most of the time, people say, Joe, doing what you're doing adds value to my life. Keep nurturing me. And they don't use those words, but keep being top of mind with me. Keep wishing me happy Thanksgiving or happy birthday or happy Mother's Day or happy Sunday or hope that you're well. You know, sometimes I send my plants. I call my people my plants because humans are emotional beings and so are plants. And plants need love. If you don't provide a plant with love, a plant will die. So you need to provide your relationships with love. You know, sometimes I send people texts and I say, I'm just sending you good energy today. I'm just sending you love today. I just hope that you have a fantastic, unbelievable day. And I ask nothing from them. I don't even ask them for a response. Let, let me ask you this. How do you get disappointed with people? So you're putting out all this energy, massive amounts of energy. And there are very few Joe Applebaums out there. So what keeps you going? There's something called expectation. When you buy a lottery ticket, what is your expectation? Do you expect to win? If you expected to win, you wouldn't be like most people that are constantly investing in lottery tickets. When I buy a stock and I expect it to go a certain way, if it goes south and I expect it to go north, I feel bad about it. Now, I need to learn to manage my emotions if I want to be a successful trader. If you want to be a successful networker, you have to manage your emotions and not expect people to do the things you want them to do. All you have to do instead of expect is appreciate. Appreciate the fact that you're a giver. Appreciate the fact that there are other people in the world that you can value, that you can benefit, that you can add massive value to. Appreciate the fact that you're in a position of power because the position of giving is the position of power. The position of trust is the position of power. The fact that you can trust someone else means you have more power. So realizing that and not giving your power away to somebody else by having an expectation makes you the most powerful person in the world. And I love being the most powerful person in the world. And I am the only person who is the giver, 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 giver in my network. And that's what makes me a connector because I connect. I don't take. I'm not the nectar. I'm the connector. I'm sweet, but I'm not the nectar. So the key is for you to realize who you are. You're in a position of power. If you were God and you were the ultimate giver, you would not feel bad if your constituents or the people that are your followers or your children are not giving back to you. The fact is my children don't give back to me. They give me love by just being them. But I don't have expectations for my children. And parents that do fall into a massive trap 
Because when your your kids don't give you back that unconditional love that you're giving them back, giving them, especially when they're teenagers, you end up getting screwed. So what about the scenarios that happen when you've given, 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 and these people that you've given to, they might not have needed, but uh, you've given, you've added value, and then there's something that someone else in your network could benefit from an introduction to that person you've been giving to all these years, and they just they just drop the ball. If I make a request from you, and you drop the ball, I really dropped the ball because I didn't take responsibility for that. So I need to know what is the relationship here. If I have an expectation that the relationship is X, Y, and Z, and I didn't verify that with you, that is on me. I need to take responsibility for everything that happens in my life. So for example, let's say Adam is connected to the CEO of Salesforce, and I want a connection to the CEO of Salesforce. Now, if Adam said, I'm going to introduce you tomorrow to the CEO of Salesforce, and I say, thank you, and Adam does not do it, now I can get all bent out of shape and say, oh my God, I can't believe the man has no integrity. I don't want to do business with him ever again. I'm never going to talk to him again. Or I can text Adam and say, hey, Adam, you mentioned yesterday you would make the introduction today. I just want to remind you to please do it as soon as possible and let me know when it's done so I can confirm that I got it because this is very important to me. Now, if Adam replies and says, sorry, I couldn't do it. I'm going to try to get to it, but I'm really, really busy. I'll be like, no problem. Do I have permission to remind you at 2 o'clock? Because this is very important to me. <laughs> now, you might say, well, I shouldn't have to do that because I've done so much for Adam and I introduced him to the whole wide world and I've actually personally given him $20 billion or whatever, right? But that's having expectation and not having appreciation. I don't have expectation from anything or anybody. I get to live. I get to be. I get to breathe. I get to give. I don't need anything from anyone if I get, it's because of the work that I did that I earned. Don't burn your bridges. Earn your bridges. Excellent. <laughs> Philosophically, I love that. And I believe that. But there are times where myself uh, have referred people and done a lot of things. And it just still blows my mind where like, wow, how could you not help someone? I've helped you. I'm trying to now, you know, Kevin Spacey, I, I use this quote all the time. I love it. I know it's not apropos to use his name, but he's got a quote that if you're fortunate enough to have made it to the penthouse, don't forget to send the elevator back down. Yeah. Don't forget to send the elevator back down. But when people don't send it back down, push the damn button yourself and don't worry about what they're not doing. There's something called karma and karma is all about giving and you will get from a different place. So when I give someone, I get from a different place. I don't have to get from there. I know it's coming back towards me. So I don't mean towards you, meaning like trying to have the person that maybe you've done a lot of good for do good for somebody else, not you, but for- I don't judge other people. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I live my life by is not having expectations from other people or judging them if they don't do good the way that I see good is because good is judgment. So whenever you say good or bad is judgment. So if I if, if I start judging someone and say, oh, that person is not a good person or that person is not doing good by other people, that I fall into a trap because who am I to judge whether or not that person is doing good or what good means to them? It's kind of like saying that person's pretty or that person's not pretty. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder and judgment is in the eye of the beholder. So ultimately, at the end of the day, it's art. And you can put me in front of a piece of art and you could say, Joe, that's beautiful, and I might not see it. You could say that person's good or that person's bad, and I might not see it. It doesn't mean it's good or bad. It just means I don't see it. And because I don't see it, 
It doesn't bother me that I don't see if somebody's good or not. I just choose not to judge them. And I'm going to judge them anyway. I just remind myself when I become aware that I'm judging another human being that I don't really have the right to do that. Hmm. Who are some of the best connectors that you know and, and what makes them so good? Some of the best connectors that I know is like Robin Fisher, the president of the Executives Association of New York City. Or She's an amazing connector because she's always thinking of ways that she can help. Whenever she's at a table, she's thinking, okay, who can I connect it to? How can I help you? What can I do for you? She connected me with numerous people. I connected her with numerous people. And she's always like engaged and on. Another person is Adam Bacal. He runs a very successful office furniture business in New York City. He's also part of the EANYC. He's just a phenomenal networker. He's always vocal. He's always engaged. He's always with the program. He's always offering to make introductions. He's always offering his ideas. I think great connectors don't just offer people and connect people, but they also connect you with great ideas. And so I look at the people in my life and say, okay, who are the people that are connecting me with ideas, with resources, with other people in a different network like Entrepreneurs Organization? One of the greatest networkers is Danny Mizrahi. He runs a very successful IT firm. He's an awesome guy. He has great energy. He's always on. He's always with the program. If I ever need anything from him, he's there. If I ever need to interview him for a podcast, he's available. He makes time for me and for the things that are important to me. He usually responds to emails right away. Another guy's Brandon Webb. He's introduced me to many clients. But in general, he's just a giver. He loves giving, 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 giving. So if you think about the people in your life that you want to connect with and spend time with and what makes them a good connector, what makes people a good connector for me is different than what makes them a good connector for you. So you have to find the people in your life that you believe are good connectors based on what you believe connecting is. For other people, it might not be having anything to do with making introductions. It might be somebody who is willing to connect well with you or connects well with people and however you define connecting well is. It's very, very personal. Like judging how good a person is or who is valuable is like totally a personal thing. And that's why I say when you take a look at your Rolodex and when you look, take a look at who your top 30 contacts are, top for you is very different than top for me. So I really want everyone listening to this to really think about who are your top connections and why are they your top strategic connections? Not personal, not operational, but strategic connections. Who are the people that are the most important people and why are they so important? And who are other people that you want to meet that are like them? What would you say is a common thread amongst some of the most connected people that you know? They are givers. They are givers. They are engaged. They are alive. They are free. They are open. They are powerful. The greatest connectors that I know are people that are not very judgmental. They're kind of living life a little bit lighter. They're kind of enjoying life a little bit more. They smile a little more. They chuckle a little more. They don't get bent out of shape when things don't go their way. And they're just open. There's a really great guy that comes to mind when I think of a great connector is Burt Rosenblatt. Burt owns a commercial real estate company in New York City, and he loves connecting people. And, he, and you know, one of the things that he always does when I see him, he's like, Joe, you're the most amazing person ever. And he's like always complimenting me and saying really nice things to me. Those are the people that really stand out because they go out of, they don't have to do that. It's selfless to do that, just to compliment somebody because you see them and making them feel good. And the crazy thing is he doesn't do it to everyone. He does it to me. So 
it's very, very interesting. I mean, he does it to other people as well, but I feel like when he does it, he does it to me. And that's another thing that I feel like one of the greatest the greatest connectors are is when, you, when you're with them in their presence, you feel like you're the only one there and they really see you for who you are. It's funny. That's one of the things that people said really separated Bill Clinton was the uh, the presence and you yeah. know, didn't give you that. You know, I don't know if you're ever at events. Uh, well, of course you're at events, but you know when you're talking to someone, that's one of my biggest pet peeves when you're sitting there talking to someone and they're looking over your shoulder or just looking around for you know, who's the next person that I can talk to. Where is there more pressure? That's what they're looking for. Where is there more pressure? Everyone, their attention is automatic. It's not like they don't like you. It's you're not delivering enough pressure to them. What do you mean by that? Explain. Okay, so when when you're having a conversation with somebody and they're not engaged in the conversation, you might think to yourself, well, that person's just a bad person. They don't like connecting or they're not deep and they're looking for somebody else. No, the conversation's over, dude. You're not adding enough value. Raise your voice, rip your shirt off, and do something that adds a little more value to the conversation. Okay, don't rip your shirt yeah, off. Keep it say, on. There's some good advice. <laughs> <laughs> no, but add yeah. more value. Add more pressure. Mention something. If you don't like the fact that they're looking around, bring it up. Say, hey, I noticed you're looking around. Are you looking for someone or are we done here? And you don't have to be a schmuck about it. You don't have to be an ass about it. You could be really nice about it and say, what is your philosophy when people look around, like kind of like the way you're looking around right now? Or you could say, hey, why don't we go talk to other people now that this conversation's over? Or if that really bothers you, be authentic, be real, either bring it up or end the conversation or figure out a way to engage them by asking them a deep, meaningful question that will get them, their attention sucked into you. I like, sucked into you. I like calling them out. Okay, so that's you. You like calling them out, which is great, which is also interesting. And that adds a tremendous amount of pressure to the conversation. And if they're the right person, they'll be like, you know what? You're right. I'm not giving you attention. And it's so funny. And they'll either joke about it, but there'll be a moment of discomfort, which will create growth in the relationship or the opposite, which you're okay with either way. But the beauty is that asking a very deep question to the person, say, why do you choose to, to have a mustard stain on your face? And they'll be like, what? Wait, you have, I'm just kidding. I just wanted to get your attention. I saw you're getting distracted. <laughs> you know, you could do creative, fun things with them. And, you know, depending if it's a man or a woman or a child or an adult or an old person or a young person or a person that's of the same faith as you, you can ask them something ridiculous. You can make a joke. You could ask them to move with you to another location. You know, if you want to control somebody, which is essentially this idea of give and take and control, there are many tactics that you can use to control somebody. And when I say control somebody, it's controlling their attention specifically. You're not controlling them, but you're basically, you're asking for their attention. You want their attention. So earn their attention by adding so much value to them that they're just fascinated by you. They're fascinated. And I've been failing so many times at, I failed so many times at events and people were done. People were done. And sometimes I tried too hard and I offended people. So the key is having the right balance and figuring out what your own little shtick is. So for me is I'll do a selfie with somebody. You know, the funny thing is when I do a selfie with somebody and they're looking away to see what else they want to be doing. And then I show them the picture and I say, and I show them the picture, I'll be like, hey, look, you were looking away. Could you at least focus on the camera for five seconds and then I'll let you go walk over there wherever you were looking. That's great. You know, it's just so funny to see. Yeah. Speaking so. of selfies, I think that you've got one of the most interesting LinkedIn profiles ever. You've got all these little selfies that you were able to make a collage. Yes. And that you put in the backdrop of your LinkedIn. So one of my goals used to be is to do 1,000 selfies at 1,000 CEOs every year. This year I want to do 
intentional selfies with 365 people that I have a relationship with. But one of the things that I do is I take the best selfies of the year at the end of the year and I put them as a montage, as a collage, and I add them to my background photo on my LinkedIn. If you want to check that out, go to linkedin.com slash in slash Joe Apfelbaum, A-P-F-E-L-B-A-U-M, or just Google me and you'll find it right away. And what's interesting is that many of those relationships are very, very important relationships to me. And people see themselves on my profile and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you added me. And I used to add it to the back of my business card until we rebranded and they made me have to have like this avatar and whatever. I have a cool business card now. It is pretty cool. I used to have a montage of all my relationships or my top 30, 40 relationships on my business card itself. And on top of it, I would write, let's do a selfie. So at the end of the day, I used to be afraid of doing selfies and it's much more comfortable for me to do a selfie with somebody else. And now I became the selfie expert. I even showed you how we did we did a selfie here. I showed you like my process of taking your phone and putting it in portrait mode and and putting it into a timer so that the picture can focus, has two seconds to focus, and framing it correctly, holding it with the right hand. There's a whole science to a selfie. There really is. I learned a lot today. If there's any takeaway, that was a that was a good one. To switch gears a little bit, what's an important date to you? I have many important dates. One of them is my birthday because it was the day that I was born. Another one is a birthday, my wife's birthday, my children's birthdays, my employees' birthdays, the day I started my company. I love Saturday. Instead of picking a date, a day of the week, the reason I love Saturday is because I get to go off the grid. I'm an Orthodox Jew, so I don't use any electricity, no phones, no internet, no nothing. I'm completely off the grid, and I go for a seven-mile walk Saturday morning before my kids wake up. And then I spend about 45 minutes with each kid. I go to the synagogue, I pray, I eat two meals, two Thanksgiving-style meals every single Friday night and Saturday day. I don't stuff myself up too much because I'm on a diet. But, you know, we sit around the table and I ask my kids, what are you grateful for? And it's very meaningful. And I really love that time, like the birthdays, the, the anniversaries, the weekends. Those are the times that I cherish. And when I ask myself why I do what I do, it's so that I have those moments. It's that I can be relaxed in those moments and connect in a very deep, in a very very deep way. And when I ask my people, like, what's the most important date for you in general? Oftentimes, people say it's either their birthday or the birthdays of their children or their significant others. I don't really have like a date that really stands out as like yeah, March first, nineteen ninety, whatever. That you know, that was the day that whatever that I first started the thing, but. The way that I would answer the question is what day of the week is the most important day for me? And I would definitely say Saturday. Fair enough. So we're looking back one year from today. Anything in particular that you'd like to say that you've accomplished? If we look back one year from today, I would say something that I did accomplish in the past year that I'm super proud of is that I finished a marathon. So five years ago, I tried to run a half a marathon. I was 265 pounds. Somebody walked over to me in my office and they said, from a fundraiser event like you know that's how you get in and he's like i printed a t-shirt extra large with your name on it and i was extra large back then and with your name on it i was so excited i said yes to him i'll do the marathon i'll do anything i can do anything my name is joe applebaum i can do anything i just have to think positive i can do okay anyway i get on five o'clock in the morning my oversized t-shirt you know and i'm trying to run the marathon and i said i'm gonna walk it first and then after everybody passed by me, even the people with one leg passed by me and the truck even picked up the sign, I started kind of limping and running and limping and running and then I gave up at mile 10. It was only 13 and a half miles or whatever and I gave up at mile 10. And because the bus pulled up behind me and with the police and they said, get off the marathon, the marathon's over. Come on, fatty, get off. 
get off the get off the west side highway you know the marathon's over so i instead of walking till the end another few miles i hopped on the bus and i sat down there and i felt terrible about myself i was overweight i did not practice i did not prepare i didn't like i was totally like lack of integrity so i worked for five years i worked on myself till i was ready to do it again and he approached me again this past year and i said i will prepare and i will do it and i will persevere so i actually raised the money last the time before i paid the money myself because i was too shy to raise the money i was too ashamed to raise the money this time i raised it from 73 people i raised the full amount from 73 people and i actually finished a marathon i, I wanted to finish it in two hours and 15 minutes i finished it in two hours and nine minutes the half marathon and i was so happy i did the last 400 meters on Facebook Live, and I did it while I was fasting, so I did not eat anything that day. I can't be healthy for you. Oh, it was very healthy. I felt great. I had electrolytes in my system, and I was totally hydrated, but I wanted to prove to myself and to the people that listen to me is that energy doesn't come from food. Energy comes from water, from hydration, and I was using fat. I was burning fat. And I felt really, really great the whole time. I felt high energy. I felt amazing. I've seen it, and it's a pretty inspiring video. For those who are listening, how will they find it? You can go on my Facebook, click on videos, uh, facebook.com slash Joe Applebaum. Click on videos and scroll back till when the marathon was in March, and you'll be able to see it. We'll put it in show notes, make it easier for others. So I feel like I'm monopolizing your day. I'm going to try to get you one or two questions before we part. Who would you say is the most impressive person that you know that's in your Rolodex right now outside of your family that would pick up your call, and what makes them so impressive? Well, right now the thought that comes up to me right now is Jordan Sloan. <laughs> Okay. I interviewed him yesterday, and I know he would pick up my call if I called him right now. <laughs> um, he's very, very impressive. I mean, he's built a company from scratch to be, to have over $7.3 billion worth of real estate. And I know so many people that are kind of like that. Um, so I'm so lucky that I have so many people that are very, very successful people. Who would really pick up my phone call that I think is super impressive? I think Brendan Webb would pick up my call anytime I called him. He's a Navy SEAL, ex-Navy SEAL, multiple best-selling author, very successful CEO, and if I had to call, you know, like I have so many relationships like that of people that are totally impressive, that have gone to the end of the world and have accomplished so much that's not a family member at all, and I'm always thinking about how I can support these people because they are in my network and I appreciate them so much. Jeffrey Gittimer, I don't know if you know who he is. No, if I called that? him right now. He sold 13 best-selling sales books. He calls himself the king of sales. He wrote the little red book on selling. If I called the cell phone right now, he would pick up the call. We helped him out tremendously with marketing. So I highly recommend everyone check out his podcast, the Sell or Die podcast. I was on his podcast twice. He's just an amazing guy, really cool guy, him and Jenny. So there's so many people that I can pick up and call. These days, there are very few people that in general would pick up their phone, period, because of the culture of picking up your phone. But those are just some people that I, I think that if I picked up the phone, they would be happy to hear from me. Yeah, I'd be surprised anyone who wouldn't. <laughs> Joe, I, I can't thank you enough. Time to me is the most important commodity on the, the face of the earth. And you've afforded me a lot of your time. Cooked a great breakfast. Taught me how to do a selfie. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, just a kind human being. So many takeaways from this conversation. I hope and trust that whoever's listening not only listens once, but maybe gives it another listen the second time with a pen. <laughs> Give it a whirl with a pen. <laughs> so I appreciate you, and uh, you make it a great day. Likewise. Thank you very much. And listeners, stay motivated.
I'm really glad you made it through the whole show. It tells me that you found it entertaining and enjoyed the content. In the spirit of helping us continue to provide such great content and amazing guests, we appreciate your participation through Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash networkwise. Your support really helps. Also, if you or someone you know is looking for a career change, is building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com. Not only does this platform offer you a plethora of resources, but will walk you through how to expedite the outcomes and the aforementioned goals that you seek. Thanks again for listening. Make it a great day. And remember to always networkwise.